Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Armchair Detectives Wanted. This is our unsolved case week. We want to buy a house, a case from Canada. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Before we start, I will just issue a warning. This podcast may include content that some could find upsetting. It may also contain offensive language. As with all these cases, they are real life events. So please be aware that the crimes have had an impact on the family and friends of the victim. This is the case of Lindsay Buziak. She was murdered on the 2nd of February, 2008. At the time, Lindsay was working as a real estate agent and was asked to complete a house viewing with a couple. The prospective buyers told her they were looking for a property up to a value of $1 million. They said they were in the area for a short time, so needed to sort a house viewing quickly. Lindsay was a little suspicious as the contact from the couple had come directly to her and not through the office as it usually would. However, the commission from a sale of that amount would be good for her. She decided to attend even though she was a little reluctant. While completing the property viewing that day, Lindsay was murdered. After her death, a number of theories surfaced as to what may have happened to her on that fateful day, which we will discuss in this episode. We will give some context to Lindsay's life. She was born on the 2nd of November, 1983. Her parents were named Jeff and Evelyn Buziak. Lindsay also had a sister named Sarah. At the time this case took place in 2008, Lindsay was in a relationship with Jason Zylo. He was part of a family that owned a very successful real estate business. Lindsay was working for Jason's family business and had a promising career ahead of her. She was described as a likeable person and was popular and caring. Whilst working as a real estate agent toward the end of January 2008, Lindsay received a call from a female. The caller stated they were urgently looking for a home to buy with a budget of $1 million. It transpired that the caller had used a fake name. The woman also spoke with a foreign accent. Lindsay asked the client how she had obtained her direct number. The client said, I got it from a previous client of yours. Believing this was a little strange, Lindsay informed both Jason and her father about it. Jason, her boyfriend, advised her to take the viewing due to the amount of commission it would generate. He reassured her that he would be outside the property if anything happened. The property was located at 1702 De Souza Place, Saanich. At the time the property was valued at $954,000. The house was on a cul-de-sac which had just four properties. As you enter De Souza Place, 1702 is the first property on the left. It is a large four bedroom property. The potential buyer said they would be travelling by ferry to view it. An appointment was made for 5.30pm on Saturday the 2nd of February 2008. On that day, Lindsay and her boyfriend ate lunch at the Source restaurant. The bill was settled at 4.24pm. They both then left in their own vehicles. Lindsay returned home to get changed while Jason travelled to pick up a friend Callum. It appears Jason was running late and CCTV confirmed that he didn't leave the auto shop SHC until 5.30pm. 
with his colleague Callum. A few text messages were sent between Jason and Lindsay. He told her he would be late. Jason didn't actually know the location of the property that Lindsay was meeting the clients at, so had to contact his brother Ryan for directions. At 5.29pm, Lindsay accessed the key box for the property. At 5.30pm, two witnesses observed a couple attend the house. The male was described as white, six foot tall, with dark hair. He was smartly dressed with a light to medium brown jacket on. The female was described as white, between 35 and 45, with blonde hair. She was wearing a very distinctive pattern dress. Please go to www.armchairdetectiveswanted.com to view the effects and a picture of the dress that the woman was described as wearing. The couple were seen walking along the cul-de-sac to the property. The witnesses saw Lindsay greet them outside the property. The three of them all shook hands. It appeared from the greeting that they had not met previously. All three then entered into the house. The only vehicle on the driveway of the property was the one belonging to Lindsay. It would be about 5.40pm that Jason Zylo arrived at the house with Callum. At 5.41, Lindsay's phone made a call. It is believed this is when she was attacked and her phone dialed automatically as she fell to the ground. As Jason looked through the front door, he could see a figure. He believed everything was okay. He returned to his vehicle, which was parked outside the property, and waited for around 10 minutes. He then drove out of the cul-de-sac onto Torquay Drive. The reason he did this, he said, was that he did not want to be nosy and an interfering boyfriend. Around 10 minutes later, he texted again to establish that everything was alright. This was around 6.05pm. However, this message was never read by Lindsay. Approximately 25 minutes after Jason arrived at the property, he decided to enter. He tried to open the front door, but it was locked. He knocked on the door, but he did not get a response. As he was unable to gain access and no one was answering, he phoned emergency services. Jason's friend went around the back of the property to find the rear patio doors open. Callum entered the property and unlocked the front door. Jason made his way in and went upstairs to the master bedroom. He found Lindsay laying on the floor in a pool of blood. She had been brutally murdered and had over 40 stab wounds and her throat had been slit. The lack of defence wound appeared to indicate that she did not know the attack was going to happen and was unable to defend herself. All of her possessions were with her. There was no evidence of a sexual assault found. Following the discovery of Lindsay's body, Jason called the emergency services again at 6.11pm. The paramedics attended the scene and Lindsay was pronounced dead. A police investigation commenced. Both Jason Zalo and his colleague Callum were immediately taken to the police station and questioned. They were both interviewed and then released without charge. Saanich Police Department has also confirmed that Jason Zalo passed a polygraph test, although we are aware they are not always accurate. The timings of the CCTV footage from the auto shop SHC also proved he could not have committed the murder. There was limited DNA and fingerprint evidence from the crime scene. 
This suggested that the murder had been pre-planned in detail. The killers were careful not to leave any incriminating evidence. The police are of the belief that the killers were going to leave the property through the front door. However, when Zalo arrived they changed their plan and instead exited via the rear patio doors. It is thought they then entered a vehicle near to Torquay Drive and fled the scene. The police accounted for all vehicles on D'Souza Place and could not identify a vehicle linked to the couple. As mentioned earlier, witness stated the couple walked to the house, so the assumption is their vehicle was parked nearby. The cell phone used to call Lindsay to arrange the viewing is further evidence that this was a premeditated murder. The phone was purchased in Vancouver in November 2007, a few months before the incident. It was registered to Paolo Rodriguez, which is believed to be a false name. The phone was not used until contact was made with Lindsay. It was registered to a business address. Although the address is valid, it does not appear that there are any links to the phone or the killers. Six calls were made to Lindsay using this phone in the lead up to the murder. It was then deactivated after she was killed and was not used again. It was also identified the phone in question pinged to telecom towers showing it travelled from Vancouver to the location of the incident. This was the day before the murder. This supports the theory of an intricately planned murder. Lindsay's father has his suspicions, believing her boyfriend at the time, Jason, may have had some involvement in her murder. It is also known that Jason did not provide a DNA sample to the police so it could not be compared to any potential DNA found at the scene. The police investigation included 1,500 interviews, over 700 tips and 30 warrants were executed, but to this day the murder remains unsolved. Prior to the incident, it was revealed Lindsay had confided in certain people that her relationship with Jason was not progressing well. In December 2007, she spoke with her father. Lindsay told him that she had made a mistake having a relationship with Jason. She insinuated to her father that she intended to leave him. She also told her father she had seen something that she shouldn't. However, Lindsay didn't elaborate on this. This was just a couple of months before her death. Lindsay also said that Jason was controlling and possessive. She also stated that Jason's mother Shirley was controlling and prone to aggressive outbursts. On Christmas Day 2007, Jason bought Lindsay an expensive gifts and a skiing holiday. And following this, she seemed to change her mind about leaving him. However, she would be murdered within a few weeks. It is also important to note that Jason's mother Shirley owned a property that she had as a rental. The tenant, who she was renting it to at the time, was a male known as Zachary Matheson. A warrant executed at the address recovered drugs and ammunition. Could this have been associated with Lindsay's murder? What is interesting is the fact that the solicitor used by Matheson was the same one used by the Zalo family while being part of Lindsay's murder investigation. One other theory involving the Zalo family also needs to be discussed. After the murder, Nikki, the friend of Lindsay, received a phone call from a woman with a foreign accent. Nikki was panicked and wondered who the phone call was from. 
Nikki then called the number back 20 to 30 times before she receives an answer. When she did, the person on the other end of the phone was Shirley Zalo. Shirley explained that she had a staff member in the real estate office who she was trying to contact. She said Jason must have put Nikki's contact details in her phone by accident. Another potential line of inquiry, raised by Lindsay's father, highlighted concerns about her ex-boyfriend, Matt McDuff, and the potential he may have also had involvement in the murder. During the investigation, Shirley Zalo, the mother of Jason, stated Lindsay was scared of Matt McDuff. However, Shirley is the only person to provide this account. Prior to her murder, her ex-boyfriend Matt and his twin brother Malcolm were both involved in a high-profile drug bust. As part of this investigation, the phones belonging to Matt and Lindsay were tapped by the authorities. Given this history, could Matt have had any involvement with her murder? Wow, this is an investigation with twists and turns at every corner. It must be deeply distressing for the family. Her father continues to push for answers and a conclusion. It seems almost impossible to understand how this case remains unsolved. So, it's now over to you, the Armchair Detectives Wanted team. This is what we know so far. Lindsay had been in a previous relationship with Matt McDuff. They had been separated for about two years. When they were together, their phones had been tapped by the authorities investigating drug offences. And Matt had links to those involved with the drug offences. At the time of her murder, Lindsay was an hour away and had been eliminated. Lindsay was in a relationship with Jason Zalo. The relationship was a little rocky and she had expressed a view that she would leave him months before her murder. She described how Jason was possessive and controlling. She also described his mother Shirley as controlling and prone to bouts of anger. Shirley rented a property to Zachary Matheson. A warrant executed at that property found drugs and ammunition located there. Shirley contacted Nikki, a friend of Lindsay's, when doing so, she spoke in a foreign accent. The cell phone used to contact Lindsay was purchased in Vancouver in November 2007. The phone wasn't used until contact was made with Lindsay. The name and address for the user of the phone appear fake. The phone makes six calls, which were all to Lindsay. The day before the murder, the phone pings to telecom towers, showing it was moving from Vancouver. The phone is deactivated after the murder. At 4.24pm on Saturday the 2nd of February 2008, Lindsay and Jason leave the Source restaurant. Jason goes to meet his colleague Callum. He arrives at 4.29 at SHC. At 5.29pm, Lindsay opens a lockbox at the location where she was doing the property viewing for the potential couple that day. At 5.30, she greets the male and female. Also at 5.30, Jason left at SHC with his colleague. At 5.38pm, Jason sent a text message to Lindsay saying he was just a couple of minutes away from the property. On arrival, Jason spent 10 minutes outside the house and could see movement inside. At 5.41pm, 
Lindsay made a phone call believed to be from her pocket as she was being attacked. At 5.55pm, Jason decided to park up on Torquay Drive. At 6.05, he sent a text saying, are you okay to Lindsay? But no response was gained. Jason entered the property and found Lindsay on the floor in the master bedroom in a pool of her own blood. Lindsay had been stabbed around 40 times and her throat had been cut. At 6.11pm, Jason made a final call to the emergency services. And here's what we need to know. Who killed Lindsay? Why was she murdered? Who purchased that cell phone? Who is the female with the foreign accent? Who is the female who is interested in buying the house? Why does the female suspect wear such a distinctive and recognisable dress? Who is the male that attends with her? Did they arrive in a vehicle? If so, where was that vehicle parked? Was it a hire vehicle? Why did they choose an upstairs bedroom to kill her? Where is the murder weapon? The killers must have been bloodstained. How did they escape from the property? What happened to their clothing? It must have been covered in blood. Was there any DNA left at the scene? Is there any outstanding DNA? Are there any further DNA examinations available? Did the ferry have records of pas passengers? Did the ferry have CCTV? Was there any cameras on the local highways? How did the killers escape? Did they have assistance? Is there a connection between Lindsay's ex-boyfriend, Mac McDuff, and her murder? They both had their phones tapped by the authorities in relation to a drug investigation. Is there any connection between her present boyfriend, Jason Zalo, and her death? She had spoke of leaving him. Why did he collect a friend to go with him to the house? Why did he leave SHC at 5.30pm, knowing the viewing would have commenced at this time? Why didn't he volunteer to complete the viewing, as Lindsay was a little apprehensive? Why did he move away from the property and park his vehicle out of sight on Torquay Drive? Why did he wait a total of 25 minutes before entering the property? When he does enter the property, Jason makes his way straight upstairs. Why? What was the relationship between Jason Zalo and Zachary Matheson? Why such ferocity in this murder? Why so many stab wounds? Why no forensic breakthrough, fingerprints, DNA, hair fibres, telecoms data, CCTV? Someone knows who the killer is. Someone has that vital piece of information. Please visit our Facebook page, Armchair Detectives Wanted, where you will be able to discuss your theories and views with other members. And don't forget to go to www.armchairdetectiveswanted.com where you will find photos and further information about the case. Week 6 of our scenario. Paramedics arrive and enter the house. They make a brief examination of the victim and confirm she is deceased. You search the address, there are no further victims and no offender is present. You now have a potential murder. You need to secure the scene. You now need to decide on the size of the area you will secure. Which option will you choose? A. The kitchen. 
B. The kitchen and entrance hall C. The house and front garden D. The house, front garden and rear garden or E. The house, garden and the street Thank you for listening to Armchair Detectives Wanted You are one of the team Remember, don't just listen, be involved We would really appreciate you recommending our podcast to others And please join us next week for episode 7, Found Dead Under a Car Bonnet.